Um, one point that I want to make here is when it says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. So are we all on the same page to know that we are going to have trials? We are going to face difficulty? Um, it's going to happen to all of us. And so many times our first reaction to a struggle or our first reaction to a difficulty in our life is, God, what did I do wrong? Are you mad at me? Are you upset at me? What, what did I do? I don't, I don't know what I did to deserve this. I've been trying to be in your word. I've been trying to do things right. But I'm still being attacked. I'm still facing difficulties. I'm still facing storms. I'm still facing hard things that I don't understand. Um, and then the other way we can look at it, you know, we see our friends, and they're going through a difficult season, and we go, they must, they must not be living right. Something's going on. God would not attack them like that. <laughs> okay, so our first, our first misconception there is, is we're going to face struggle. Good or bad, we're going to face You've all heard, you know, why do good things or bad things happen to good people? Um, it's not just good people. It happens to all people. We just care more about the good people. <laughs> yeah, it happens, happens to bad people, too. <laughs> good thing happens or bad things happen to everybody. They, they, everybody faces hardship. Everybody faces struggle. Um, we just tend to point it out more when it happens to good people. Um, Jesus, Jesus died. We think that Jesus died to remove struggle, to remove pain, to remove all those things. He didn't die to remove us from the struggle. He didn't die to remove us from the storms. He didn't die to, you know, you're never going to face anything. You guys just have a chill life from now on, or everybody would be Christians. It'd be really easy because nobody would face bad things. Um, Truly, Satan is out to attack us. Satan is out to attack every single person, not just bad people. He's out to attack good people. He's out to... Um, he wants to end the call that God has on our life. And we all have a call. We all have a plan and a purpose. And Satan wants to attack that. And so when Jesus died, it wasn't so that we wouldn't have struggle. It wasn't so that we wouldn't face hard times. Jesus died for the fact that we can now walk through that um, powerful. We can walk through that with victory. We can walk through that without the same pain, without the same struggle that everybody else has. Um, I think of superheroes, you know, and I use this example at Conquer. But have you ever been to a, a movie, like a superhero movie, and, you know, a couple things could happen. One, the superhero, as soon as the struggle hits, just disappears. Like, there's no superhero. It's just gone. Like, that would not be a good movie. If Hulk just vanished, or Iron Man, or whoever else, there's no movie left. There's just people facing a struggle. Um, the other thing that can happen, you know, is is now you have these superheroes, and they come down, and they go hide, or they, or they, they act like a normal person, even though they're a superhero. Even though they have the power to go defeat whatever is happening, this terrible disaster, but the superhero just acts like a normal citizen, doesn't ever come out. You know, like Spider-Man, if he would have just stayed and, and not put on his cool suit and gone out and climbed buildings, he just stayed as a normal person. The, the, the struggle is what makes the superhero a superhero. Okay, Jesus came for the... He faced all kinds of struggle. And if you look at through just Bible heroes in general... The ones that are in the Bible are in the Bible because they faced struggle and did it effectively. They did it through the power that Jesus came to give us. Paul it wrote most of the New Testament for the fact that he faced struggle incredibly. You look at Daniel. I mean, what do we say? It's Daniel in the... That sounds like a struggle. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the... It's not, sound, it's not a tanning bed. It is definitely a struggle. Okay, they were not tanning. <laughs> it was a struggle. They're there. It, it was a fight. And they're, they're in the Bible. We look at Moses. We look at the Israelites. We look at Joseph. We look at Joshua. We look at Caleb. We look at, the list is endless. Every single person, I don't think there's a Bible character in here that didn't face a struggle unless they were getting beat by the person that was aligning with God. Everybody else, everybody was facing a struggle that's in here. 
So we are going to face struggle. The difference is how we walk through it. So we have to change our perspective. We are not doing something wrong when a struggle comes. You're not out of God's line. God's not attacking you. He's not trying to take you out. We're going to face struggle. Okay? I wrote down when I was praying, I said, you know, actually, I think we are created for struggle. That sounds terrible. So I changed my wording a little bit. We were created to overcome adversity. We weren't created for struggle. We are created to overcome adversity. That's the purpose that we're here. Because, you see, if the world, in the good times, when things are going easy and there's no struggle, everybody can be equal. Our character is the same. Everybody can put on a happy face. Everybody, if there's no struggle, everybody's fine, Christian or non-Christian. But then when struggle hits, we need Jesus all of a sudden. I promise you, if you want to see a nation on their knees, just let a natural disaster happen, everybody wants to pray. If something happens in school, we don't need Jesus there until something bad happens. Then we need Jesus in school. And it's the same for us. So as Christians, here's my question is, why when a struggle hits do we respond like the rest of the world? Now I need Jesus. I know. Hmm. Pondering moment here. Now we need Jesus. But we're Christians, so there's supposed to be something different. Just because you carry the name Christian does not give you, like, quicker access, like the Disneyland speedy access lines. You don't get one of those passes because you're a Christian when there's a struggle comes and you need Jesus. Everybody has the same access as you do. Okay, the difference in being a Christian is that we're supposed to be able to walk through struggle differently. We're supposed to be able to face it differently. We're supposed to be able to walk through with power, walk through with peace, walk through with joy. We're not supposed to walk through the same way as everybody else walks through. We're not supposed to hit a struggle and be like, oh, Jesus, I need you now. That's what everybody else is doing. I wouldn't want to be a Christian if everybody else responded the way I did in struggle because then I don't feel like I'm going to like, lose my Christianity when I do something wrong <laughs> and I get the same benefits. But if Christian people can walk through stuff, that, difficulties at a, with joy, with peace, with love towards other people, if they can walk it through that way, then now I want to be a Christian. That's what makes me want to be a Christian. I promise I'm going to be calling Iron Man if I know Iron Man exists and a struggle is happening. I need to, like, fly out of here. Okay? People should be able to come through us. Even if we're in a struggle, when they're in a struggle, they should be able to come to us and we'll be able to walk them through. But instead, as Christians even, and as the church, when something bad happens, we're crying out because we need Jesus so bad all of a sudden. And that's what our, our misconception, and I go, gosh, there's so much more to Christianity. There's so much more that Jesus even died to empower us to be able to live with that we don't have to walk through it like everybody else. Does everybody get this point? It's, it's, it's huge to me that, that this revelation that we get, that we do not have to walk through it like everybody else. We do not have to walk through struggle. We are not in trouble when struggle happens. You know, you, you guys all, we all went to school, so in class, we, you're, you're sitting there and you're, you're doing your work and you do all this week and the teacher tells you there's a test coming and do you show up to test day and freak out on the teacher and ask them why they're so mad at you? no (laughs) you know you're going to be tested on the material but we freak out at God why are you so mad at me what did I do wrong that's not that's God's going really that's what your teacher would look at you you didn't do nothing wrong I'm testing you to see what you know so in we don't have it we don't have entitlement as a Christian we don't have we have the power to walk through things, and that's why Jesus came, and that's what makes us different as a Christian. So we have to change our mindset to struggle, that struggle is not a bad thing. We know that struggle is going to come. So this mindset changer here, we want struggle to come. It said, count it all joy. We don't think that when we're in this struggle, 
But it said counted all joy. So we want this struggle to come because we're going, man, because now I can walk through this. Now I can show off my superpowers Jesus gave me. And the, you can't show them off when stuff is good. <laughs> like, prepare for your food. Everybody lived. Like, that's, that's not a superpower. <laughs> That's not a hard situation. <laughs> we're, we're praying. We can walk through things differently. So we want struggle to come. My dad's been doing a series on, on the infilling of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the power that comes with that. This is when you get to show it off. This is when you get to walk out the power that it's really there. When stuff is good, that's when you're building that spirit, man. When stuff is good, I'm a basketball coach. So when practice, is just practice. Everything's good. We're going to prepare for the game. So as Christians, when everything's good, we need to prepare. We've got to build up that spirit, man, where it becomes a habit to read the Word of God, a habit to be in prayer, a habit to where we are so built up that you don't carry you through the hard situation, that your spirit man kicks in, and that's who carries you through the hard situation. Did you notice that every superhero was a normal human being until a struggle hits? Then all of a sudden they're a superhero. We're a normal human being, but when a struggle hits, we're going to be superheroes. We get to walk through with the empowerment of God because that's who he's called us to be. We, does everybody see struggle differently? Who wants to struggle now? <laughs> that's what I do. I'm like, yeah, bring it on. I'm so excited to struggle. <laughs> Should explain this very well before anybody, you know, don't go outside and tell people that to explain it. Okay, so that's all good and well, but how? How do we walk through a struggle that way? What, what do we do? How, struggles, you say we can do that, but how? Logical question, I would say. Okay, I want to, this is our off season. This is our off season time. So that's point number two. One is we're going to change our mindset that we were created to overcome adversity. But number two is that we have to prepare in an off season. That when things are good, um, I was praying a few months back and just praying some things through, some things that I was facing and and I felt like I heard the Lord say, you know, as much as you needed me then is as much as you need me now and ahead of now, even more. Meaning, as much as we need God in our struggle, we need him more outside the struggle. Because that's what prepares us for the struggle. But we have it lopsided a lot of times as Christians is we need God a whole lot more in our hard times than we do in our good times. But it's the opposite. In our off season is when we need God more. Because things are going good. So really, I would say the struggle is outside the struggle. I know we're using this word all over the place, but just try to paint a picture in your head and keep up. <laughs> so the struggle is outside because when everything's good, how hard is it to find time for God? Pretty difficult. When you ask Christians, what's the hardest part for you? I feel like I'm on a roller coaster because sometimes I'm in prayer and I'm doing really good. And then, then I'm on a roller coaster and I do really, really good and I'm in prayer for about a week and then I go, Right? That's the hardest part of being a Christian. I promise, if you can hammer that part, you got it nailed. The hardest part is being consistent. The hardest part is enduring the good times. Not the hard times, because then you're carried through the hard times. Building up your spirit, man, in the good times is what's going to empower you to walk it out in the hard times. When it says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, when you're in the good times, it's easy to love people. <laughs> it's easy to have peace. Yeah, I'm peaceful. I'm doing real good. But when you've had a bad day, that's when it's hard to present peace. That's when it's hard to love people. That's when it's hard to have joy. 
But that says it's a fruit of the Spirit. Okay, we all know there's like potato fields all over out here. If you don't plant, plant and tend to the potatoes where they grow, it's a potato field either way. But will they grow and will you harvest potatoes if you don't plant and tend to them? Okay, we're Christians either way. But are you going to produce fruit and have fruit to harvest if you don't plant and tend to it? The same, we have a potato field out there, I promise. It's going to be a potato field probably forever. So they switch it up every other couple of years, but it's mostly a potato field. But when we plant that potatoes and we tend those potatoes, then we get potatoes. As Christians, when we're supposed to produce fruit, when we plant seeds of the Word of God, when we plant seeds and, and spend time in prayer and spend time cultivating in the Spirit and build that spirit man up, then we're going to produce fruit. But we can't get to harvest and go, well, where's the potatoes? We can't get to a hard time and go, God, I am totally a Christian. I'm not acting Christian and I don't know why. <laughs> we have a rough day and all of a sudden we don't want to be Christians. Nobody saw me in church yesterday. <laughs> because we hit a hard time <laughs> and, and we haven't taken the time to cultivate and plant that fruit and tend to that fruit. Planting seeds, planting those seeds of the word. This is why we come to churches, because we can deepen ourselves and go, ooh, I need to apply that to my life. It's not enough just to take notes on Sundays and Wednesdays and then go off and go, man, that was a really good word, done my Christian duty, we are good. God, that word you said, you, you would bring things to my remembrance, right? But we haven't planted it. We haven't cultivated it. We haven't spent time. Okay, my other point here is that, so we, we maintain pretty close to the same routine schedules all the time. So if it's really hard to find Jesus in the good times, but then when the bad times hit, it's suddenly super easy to have time to spend with Jesus. Because we need it more. The good times are here, and we, we, we can't consistently spend time in prayer. It's too hard. I just, I'm just so busy, and I can't keep up. Something bad happens. I promise there's time for Jesus every day. The difference is we see it as a need, or we see it as something I can get to. So our priority there, where we're placing it is, is this a need? Is Jesus something that my life depends upon every single day to meditate on the word, to get the word, to spend time in the word, to spend time in prayer, to cultivate what's been taught on Sunday or Wednesday or any other time or my own revelation? Are those, is that what I'm cultivating? Is that a need? Because if that's a need, you'll make time for it. Your life depends on it, seriously. And if we lived like that in the good times and in the hard times, it'd be super easy. You would see that fruit come forth. You would see it. Wow, all things really are brought to my remembrance. Man, God, your strength's made perfect in my weakness. I'm truly joyful through this trial. I have peace when everybody else is freaking out. It's because we've taken time to cultivate that word. If we plant the seed, my dad ministered Sunday, he said, whatever you give, God's going to use. So imagine if we gave just a little bit every single day what he could use in a hard time. It's beyond us. We would have no clue. He says we can give us more than we can ask or imagine. But we have to make the time. We have to make it important. Um, I want to read a or tell you about a story here. Uh, Carlos Hathcock, he's a sniper. I love sniper stories and that kind of stuff. But he's um, one of the most amazing snipers of all time. He's, uh, he had 93 confirmed kills. I mean, just outstanding as far as his preparation, the kind of person that he was. He was... Um, Solid and very, very accurate at over a thousand yards. He did um, 
all, military through war, and he was actually in Vietnam. But what had happened at one point was they had to take out this enemy general, and they said, you have to volunteer for this mission. We can't, we can't let you just, we can't tell you you have to go because you won't come out alive. So you have to volunteer to, to be able to go take this guy out. Well, what it ended up being was he had to crawl for four days over 1,500 yards uh, in order to uh, get to where this, he could take out this, this enemy general. He was accurate at over 1,000, but he said, to make sure that there's nowhere, I need to be at 800 yards to take out this general. And so he spent weeks preparing, um, what do I do? What food do I need? What, what, how many drinks do I need? What kind of terrain am I going to be crawling in? What should I dress like? Weeks and weeks and weeks preparing ahead of time for this, for this situation, for this struggle, for this that was coming his way. He spent weeks preparing. Um, so he gets everything planned out. He wants to be right at 800 yards to go. So he's crawling for days. Um, he can't eat because it would take, he, he would bring attention to himself because it's open terrain this 1,500 yards. Um, even to drink, he would drink a cap full of water every once in a while, but even to drink just a cap full of water for him to get it out of his canteen, to pour him a cap full to take a drink would take 30 minutes. Most of us don't have the patience to do that for 30 minutes. But for him to get a drink, it would take him 30 minutes. That's how slow he had to be moving across here. So you can imagine the, even just the discipline for the crawling part, getting across there and, and getting a drink, the struggle that it took, the effort that it took to even get across there. So he goes and he goes and he goes, and he gets to 1,000 yards from where he's supposed to shoot. And by this point, it's been um, a little over three days, almost four days. He's exhausted. He hasn't had anything to eat. He's had a couple capfuls of water, and that's it. And he goes, I'm, I'm accurate from 1,000 yards. I, can, I mean, I've done it several times. I can do it. Um, and he's having this battle going on in his mind, going, I, I can do this. I can, I can shoot from here. And what it came back to is his final thoughts. He said, you know, when I was rested and when I was well, I made a plan. And just because I'm tired, I will not compromise that plan. What if he would have never made a plan? What if he would have never made the plan to go to 800 yards? What if he would have never planned what to take with him or how he was going to do this or how far it was going to be? He wouldn't have made it. He ended up obviously making it alive because nobody was there to interpret his thoughts. But So he ended up alive. Um, he did end up making it out. But I love that. He said, I, I thought out the plan when I was rested and well, but I won't compromise just because I'm tired. When we prepare in the off-season, when we spend time in prayer, when we spend time in the Word in the off-season, then when the hard time hits, that's what we can remind ourselves to go, no, when I was rested, when I was well, when I was spending time in the Word, when I knew, when everything was fine, this is how I believed in Christ, this is who Jesus was to me. Because how many of you know as soon as you hit a struggle, the first thing that's attacked is your view of Jesus? It's amazing, you know, a God that's never broken a promise can be doubted so easily, but a Satan that's never kept a promise can be trusted so easily. Just because one, one thing happens, all of a sudden God's mad. The character of your God changes because a struggle hits. But when we are rested and we're prepared and we, we're not facing a hard time and we really spend the time getting to know our God, then that's what carries through when a hard time hits. But when we don't take time getting to know our God, it's almost like a rumor. You know when you don't know people very well and then a rumor hits about them? You believe? I mean, what else are you going to believe? You don't know them. It's the truth. We, we, we go, you hear rumors about people all the time, but if you don't know them, you believe that about them. Don't trust that person. They do this, this, and that, and the other. 
But we don't know them, so we don't know what to compare that against. Okay, the first thing the enemy's going to attack is your relationship with God. That's what he's trying to end to begin with. He does the same thing over and over and over and over and over. And if we haven't spent the time getting to know our God, getting to know the character of our God, because that's what we're supposed to be portraying when a hard time hits anyway. So we should spend the time getting to know the character of our God, the being of our God, who he is, what he thinks about us. What does my God think about me? What does my God have planned for me? What is, if I don't spend the time doing that way, when Satan comes in and goes, God doesn't have a plan for you, you did this in your past. God doesn't have a plan for you because you're struggling and he obviously wouldn't let you struggle if you were doing things right. God doesn't love you. Our God's attacked. Our image of God's attacked. Our image is attacked because we haven't spent the time preparing to go, God, God, what do you think of me? In the hard times, it's going to be very clouded to find out what God thinks of you. It's going to be very clouded to find out what kind of God you serve because there's so many voices, there's so many things that are distracting. At that point, we, it's a struggle. You guys have been there. But in our good times, if we can know what we think of God, that's what carries over. If I know somebody and somebody tells me a rumor about him, I can tell you, no way. I know their character. The same way with God. If the devil tries to get in my head about my God, uh uh-uh, I know my God and I know what he thinks of me. But we have to develop that in the off-season. So when I say the off-season is our most important season, it's true because that's what's going to get us through. That's how we're going to walk through with power. We can get through. Jesus is never going to leave you nor forsake you. Okay, you can get through without an off-season. So I don't want you to think, man, I'm an off-season. I'm going down. Don't think that. (laughs) Okay, Jesus is going to get us through. But when you're out of this struggle, begin an off-season. Develop an off-season in your life. Develop an off-season with your family. Develop, but I mean, Jesus is going to get you through no matter what. But having that off-season makes us walk it through like a superhero instead of like another general human being. I don't want to go through a struggle and need the same things that, that somebody that doesn't have Christ needs. Not in a prideful way at all, but what are they looking at? Why would they want to be a Christian? Why would they want Jesus? Why would they want anything that I have? Because I can minister to them when it's good? I don't need a superhero when everything's fine. I need a superhero when things are going wrong. Right? We need Jesus. They need Jesus when things are going wrong. But they don't, if they don't know Jesus, who are they going to see it in? They're going to see it in us. So this off-season is key. Back to coaching basketball. When we come out of summer into our our regular practice seasons, our girls come in. And we can tell, you know, at the beginning, they're all shooting, they're doing their thing, everything's fine. But as soon as things get hard, I can point out to you which athletes were there in the off-season and which athletes weren't, even if I wasn't there all summer. One, because the ones that were at the off-season resort back. You'll see the same muscle memory develops. You'll see them pushing a little harder. You'll see some things that they put into practice in the off-season coming out when things are hard. Their shot stays consistent. The main thing that we, we look for, if you've been in the off-season, you'll have consistency when it gets hard in practice. The players that don't come in the off-season, the first way that we can know is because they revert to old habits that we haven't even taught or seen in, in forever. Same way in our Christian walk, when we get into a hard time, is there consistency seen? Is there consistency in your prayer life, consistency in your character, consistency in your mouth that you've been talking about in the good time? Is there consistency when it gets hard? Or do you revert to old habits that you haven't seen in, where'd that guy come from? 
And that's what we can see in, in even our basketball players. That's just a physical example, but it's the same way spiritually. I know sometimes I have a bad day and I'm like, who is that? We should not meet her. Don't bring her in public. <laughs> but our character, if we develop that in our off-season, then when we do get in a struggle, that same character is going to carry us through. People will see consistency in you. That person's consistent. That person consistently serves God. They consistently talk positive. They consistent are encouraging and loving others. They consistently have godly character. They consistently speak the word and live the word, and we see consistent effects on their life. People see consistent favor on your life. They're not going to question your God. Right? So that's the importance of our off-season. So that's our how. That's how we get through struggle. That's how we get to struggle. Um, you, um, again, you'll need God more in your off-season than you do during the struggle. We have to habitually put God at our off-season, make habits, make, constantly speak the word, constantly plant seeds of the word, constantly speak that into your family. If you, I mean, if you look for weaknesses, I have a hard time when something happens, maybe I lose peace. Well, then in my off season, I'm going to probably be planting scriptures that have to do with peace over and over and over and over. If something happens and I automatically resort to fear, then I'm going to be planting scriptures that have to do with fear over and over and over. If I automatically feel insecure in who I am, then I'm going to find out who God says I am and I'm going to read the word until I have those in my heart. So when I hit a hard season, then I know who I am. I'm going to consistently find out who God is. If the first thing I do is doubt God, then I'm going to find out his character. I'm going to find out who he is, how much he, he loves me, how much that he's never going to leave me, how strong he is when I'm weak. Then I'm going to plant those scriptures over and over and over. So in our off season, that's what we do. That's our how. That's how we get through struggle is that off season of planting scripture constantly, of reading scripture, listening to the word, speaking the word. And we've been talking about the Holy Spirit, praying in the spirit. You know, it says that he makes intercession on, for our, on our behalf when we don't know how to pray as we ought. That, that praying in the Spirit, that's your direct line to heaven. That that's exactly, we've been talking about it for weeks and weeks and weeks, the power that came with that. We watch Jesus walk through struggle. We watch him face temptation. We watch him face storms, betrayals, hurts. We watch him face everything there is to face. And how he did it, he, he made it through. But then... Now he says, now I give you that power. Now I give you that same spirit. Now I give you, I'm with you always. Okay, he put that inside of us so that we can walk through struggle the same way that he did. We, we all, so often we put Jesus like on this pedestal. Well, yeah, he was God's son. So are you. He had a direct line to God. He could talk to God all the time. So do you. He gave us the word. He gave us the exact same power that was in him for us to be able to walk through. The exact same thing we have. We don't have to, you know, Jesus was that, Jesus was, no, Jesus was exactly, he came as a man, he gave up everything he was in heaven so that he could show us and be an example to walk through that and then say, I've given that to you. I've put that exact same thing on the inside of you so that you're able to walk through storms, so that you're able to walk through struggle, so that you're able to walk through hard times. Does that make sense? It's such a huge revelation to me that I go, wow, gosh, I have that same exact power that I can walk through those things, but Jesus had an off season. Even Jesus had an off season. He was constantly in prayer. He was constantly, and every time it was right before a struggle. And then he was able to walk through the struggle. Every time. Never failed. You, you read through here constantly. Every time that, that something big happened in the Bible, if you go back a few verses, you promise you'll find Jesus praying. He knew who his God was. He knew he wouldn't forsake him when he was tempted by Satan. Satan's throwing the word at him, and he knew how to decipher between what was, what was not the word and using it out of context. And 
and everything else. He knew that because of his off-season, because of what he had planted on the inside of him. He knew that he was the son of God. He knew what God had empowered him to do. He knew the plan that he was here. And he also knew what God, what God had put in him that, no, I don't have to. He can face struggle, but now I'm going to give it to you. We don't have to face struggle the same way that everybody else does. We don't have to face, God's not mad at us. And that's my biggest thing is that struggle's coming, but we have so much to offer when we walk through struggle. We come out so much stronger on the other side. There's no testimony without a test. You don't have nothing to say if you're never tested. That, that's, the, that's the cool part about God is he uses everything to, to his glory. It says that um, all things work together for your good. That God's planning all of that ahead of time that no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, it's going to be for your good. But if you don't know your God, you'll question that. And that's the importance of our off-season. What we train ourselves to do in the good times is what is going to reflect in our hard times. Um, so our response, um, this is based on our off-season. When we do hit a struggle, what fruit is portrayed? Are we, are we portraying the fruit of the Spirit or the fruit of the flesh? What fruit comes out first? What's our first resort? Even just, just listen to yourself. If you don't know, listen to yourself when you have a bad day or something bad happens. What are you speaking versus what you speak when things are good? What's your response to people? We have two rules in the Bible, love God and love people. Those are only two things we've got to do. What's your response to people when things get hard? Because when things are good, we love everybody and God loves everybody. When things are bad, God hates everybody. It changes that quick. We allow ourselves that we go, gosh, everything's good and everything's fine. But then as soon as something bad happens, God definitely doesn't love them. They need Jesus real bad. You think somebody else needs Jesus? You should probably just check yourself for a little bit. Then go back. Because <laughs> maybe you were supposed to give them Jesus and you skipped right over them. <laughs> we, we get so selfish when bad things happen. But it's our off season that's going to bring that out. So what fruit? Listen to your mouth. Well, how are you viewing people? Those two tests will tell you all you need to know about yourself. How do you look at people when things happen? And the second one is listen to yourself. Those two things will tell you where you're at. Because you're, you mentally can memorize scripture and quote that in a hard time. Sometimes our actions and how we treat people are different. So our off-season will reflect, but in those two things, you'll be able to know. Um, what it, what's inside of us will come out in a crisis. There, when there is no time for preparation and pretense, our true character is revealed. I'll read that one more time. What is inside of us will come out in a crisis. When there is no time for preparation and no pretense, our true character is revealed. When there's no prep, this instant, this instant response when things get hard. What's our, what's our response? We all face struggle, but what's our instant response? What's that instant go-to? I want to give you a couple examples. I want to go to Matthew 8. All right, and we're going to go to, let me see where I want to start here. Let's go to 23. And it says, Now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. 
Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. Listen to their words there. Lord, save us, we are perishing. Are they? Typical response when a hard thing's happened. God, save me. (laughs) I'm perishing. But we were, what was our first point? We were created to overcome adversity. So we might be having a difficult time there, but I don't think we're perishing quite. It says, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So I want us to point something out here. Were they in the exact same storm? They were in the exact same storm, on the exact same boat. My question is how 90% of them were perishing and one of them was sleeping. (laughs) They were in the exact same storm, on the exact same boat, in the exact same circumstance, doing the exact same thing, except for 90 of them said, we're perishing. (laughs) And the other one said, he was just sleeping. Which represents peace, right? So he's peaceful, it's not bothering him. Okay, when we're going through the exact same storms as the people around us, are we perishing with them or are we resting? We're good. Okay, this is Jesus. This is, again, the same exact power that he put on the inside of us. Are we resting to the point that we wake up and just rebuke it? No, you're not in no place here. The exact same storm. On the exact same boat. I mean, that would be like in this room. A couple of us are sleeping. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> A couple of us are sleeping. <laughs> but the rest of us are perishing. <laughs> I don't know which is worse. Am I making you perish? <laughs> But, I mean, in reality, <laughs> let's pretend we're not in church because that was a terrible example. <laughs> and a bunch of us are perishing <laughs> and one of us is sleeping and resting. Okay, the example, we have that on the inside of us. When everybody else is perishing, we have, we have that overcoming power to adversity that we have the strength to be able to walk through. We have the joy to be able to walk through. We have the peace. And then everybody else, what did the disciples do? Jesus, right? Do they see Jesus in us when a difficult time is coming? Because Jesus is not here in person. He's on the inside of us. So they should see Jesus on the inside of us when they're facing a storm, when everybody's facing a storm, when we're all going through the exact same struggle. When people are going through a struggle, do they see Jesus on the inside of us? Would they be able to call out and point out, because of your character in a struggle, Jesus inside of you? Because that's what we truly are supposed to be as Christians. You know that whole thing they teach you like when you're little kids? You're the only Bible people will ever read. It's true. Because in a struggle, I want to look for Jesus and somebody that has it. But if they can't tell, and I say I'm a Christian, and they can't tell my character and my Jesus any different than them screwing me out for Jesus, somewhere we've gone wrong. Somewhere I go, I look at that song where we're reading about the sacrifice that Jesus made, where we're reading about that so that we can live powerfully through struggle. 
Well, he didn't die just to forgive us. <laughs> and so many times we think, I'm forgiven, I'm good, thanks Jesus, see you in heaven. Good talk. And that's how we live as Christians. We face everything else the same. We have the same problems with people, same problems with the church, <laughs> same problems with the pastor. As everybody else, we have the same exact, same exact storyline, except for Jesus forgave you, and you'll see him in heaven. That's not why Jesus died. That was lame. That's all he died for. He died for the purpose, one, we are forgiven, so we can live it powerfully. Where I can say, it doesn't matter about my past, because Jesus forgave me, and now I can move forward in the power that he put me in, and now my past became a great testimony and a setup for my future. And that's how we view our Jesus. That's why he died. So now the struggles that maybe I struggled with before I was a Christian, or the struggles that I see someone else struggling with, now we can walk through with ease. Because that's why Jesus died. And forgiven becomes a testimony to be able to walk through something more. It makes a huge difference when we look at even, even Jesus. Why did he die? Typical answer, to forgive me. He did forgive you, yes. But there's so much more to that. We can walk different, talk different, act different, speak different. We pray different. When hard times hit, we are different because of Jesus dying. But there's so much more to being a Christian than just being forgiven and getting to go to heaven. So much different. So much more. When we look at, and then over a few scriptures, so just... Just a few verses later, let's go to Matthew 14. And we'll go to 22, and it says, Immediately Jesus made his his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on a mountain by himself to... Now when the evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves... For the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. They're in a storm. And Jesus said, Be of good cheer. Where has Jesus spent his last hour? It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter came out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. We're going to stop right there, and then I'll pick up. So does this sound very similar to the recent circumstance that just took place with the disciples? Sometimes we feel like we're in a reoccurring storm. It goes over and over. But I want you to look at the response of Peter here that's a little different. Peter knew, based on that last circumstance, that Jesus had something different to him, even in a storm. And I know that this is a storm on an ocean, but relate that to a spiritual storm in your life, a spiritual difficulty in your life that Peter saw, no, Jesus was different. There was peace there. I experienced peace when Jesus spoke to that storm. I experienced peace. I want to be where Jesus is. And see, Peter's had some time to be in an off season here. Jesus, or Peter's had some time to develop a little more who Jesus is. He's had some time to develop what kind of fruit Jesus portrays. He's had some time with Jesus in general to know what Jesus even thinks about him. I promise if he thought Jesus thought he was a failure, he would not have got out of the boat on an ocean. He knew what Jesus thought of him to get out of the boat to begin with. 
So Peter gets out of the boat, and we give Peter a hard time because Peter sunk moments later. But Peter got out of the boat, right? Because here's what he realized is, I want to be with Jesus. Because last time he was on the boat and he woke up, everything went calm, which means wherever Jesus is, that's where peace is, on the boat, off the boat, anywhere. He knew that, so he's like, I'm getting out of the boat. Those guys don't have Jesus. I'm going out there. <laughs> they can, they, he just left them. I'm going Because he knew that Jesus would have him no matter what, even on an ocean, even on the sea crashing. I got back from the Bahamas. I would not walk out there without a boat, without a life jacket, probably a helicopter. I would not go out there. That's when I would call a superhero that could swim or fly. <laughs> okay? I, think about that. He's stepping out on the ocean, stepping out in this storm, because he just wants to be with Jesus, because he knew Jesus' fruit. He knew what Jesus thought of him. He knew what Jesus had empowered him to do. And he knew if Jesus said, come, that he could go. Because of spending time with Jesus in these last few chapters. Because just a couple chapters ago, Peter was perishing. Peter's not perishing anymore. Peter wants to be where Jesus is. And Jesus wasn't on the boat. So do you see the difference? One, Jesus is on the boat. He calms the storm from the boat. Now Jesus is in the storm, on the storm, on the thing causing the boat to rock. And Peter's going to, I'm going to go with him. Because he knew that he was better off with Jesus in a terrible, stormy circumstance than he was on a man-made boat to depend on in a storm. But too many times, we're like the rest of the disciples, We're staying on the boat. It's stable here. Jesus, come here. (laughs) That's that's what we do in a storm. We get in a difficult situation and we're like, Jesus, I'm going to stay right here, but you should probably come to me. Keep coming. Keep walking on that water. Come to me and calm my storm. Peter said, no, I'm going to go where Jesus wants to go because I promise you that's what made Peter different than the rest of the disciples. Even read from the rest of the Bible on. Peter's different. Peter experienced deeper things. Even in the ocean. He experienced the depth of who Jesus was. He, then he took his eyes off Jesus, he put him on the storm, and he sunk. Okay, and he's, he gets told again, I mean, the poor guy, Jesus just uses the same line over and over and over and over. Oh, you have little faith. Peter's probably like, I know, I know, and I did it again. But at least I'm out this time. <laughs> okay. But Jesus helps him up. They walk back to the boat and get in the boat, and, the, and it's calm. Okay, do you see that when Peter went to Jesus, he walked on the water, he got to Jesus, even though he sunk, he got back to the boat, and then the storm was calm for everybody else? Even in our storms, even in our hard times, and sometimes we look at the storms, it happens. And we'd take our eyes off Jesus. But Peter turned around and went, Jesus. And Jesus was right there to pick him up. And you know that verse that says, when we are weak, he's strong. That his strength is made perfect in our weakness. That's exactly where he's at. Peter's going, I don't care. Peter probably, I mean, he didn't walk on water before. The Bible didn't say he did. So he probably wasn't experienced in this area. So this is a storm that he's never encountered before in a way that he's never done it before. But he knew that he was going to Jesus. And in our storms, when we face hard things, when we face hard times, where are we looking? Are we staying in our man-made boat? Are we staying there because that's what we're depending on? We're depending on this thing and wanting Jesus to come to us? 
You know that song, Oceans? So I heard it tons of times before I actually listened to the words. I even sing it in worship. <laughs> I do that a lot. And I know we do too. Sometimes we just get in the groove. We just listen to the, we just sing the song and worship, worshiping. Do we really pay attention to what the words are saying? Because we can think that song, Jesus, I'm singing, please help me keep my eyes above the waves. Right? That's what Oceans is all about. No, it's not. Eyes, see? Deceived you all. The song actually says, You called me out upon the waters. It does not start with, Jesus, I'm perishing. <laughs> Come get me. It says, You called me out upon the waters, which means, again, we were created to over. Yeah, see? You call me. Oh, you guys can look this way. You call me out upon the waters. The great unknown, where her feet may fail. He told Peter, come. Okay, so we're created to overcome adversity. So Oceans is not a song about like, I'm sinking. It's different. It's saying, no, you called me to walk out where I don't know. Can we like keep going through those lyrics? Because it gets better. And there I find you in the mystery, in oceans deep, my faith will stand. What will stand? Not feet, not a boat. Um, and I will call upon your name and keep my eyes above the waves. When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace, for I am yours and you are mine. Your grace abounds in the deepest waters. Your sovereign hand will be my guide. Where feet may fail and fear surrounds me, you've never failed and you won't start now. And I will call upon your name and keep my eyes above the waves. When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace, for I am yours and you are mine. Okay, this here. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the water wherever you will call me. And is there one more after that that's different than everything? Yes, that one. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Peter was on to something. They wrote a song about him. We didn't know it. We thought somebody was dying at sea. Man overboard. That's what I thought when I sang Oceans. I'm like, somebody throw that guy a life vest. No, it had nothing to do with that. When I listened to the words the other day, I went, wow, that's a really good song. That'll preach. <laughs> you know? It says, you've called me there. You've, he's called us into those situations. Take me deeper. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wonder. Peter's going, take me out there. I want to go out there. My feet could fail, but it said my faith is what I'm going to stand on. My faith is made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Peter knew that. He knew that, I don't care if I do sink, I got faith to get out of the boat, and at least it'll be stronger. I promise, when Peter got back in the boat, he was not like, guys, I sunk. When he got back in the boat, he was like, did you see me walk on water? <laughs> no surfboard for this guy. I got this. Why don't you put yourself in the story? Always put yourself in the story when somebody's preaching. It makes it better. Okay, so you're in the boat. You get out of the boat. You get back in the boat. What's your reaction? I sunk. I promise Peter was not crying because he sunk. He was like, I walked on water not once, but then I sunk and I walked on it again with Jesus. <laughs> he got out of the boat. So the same storm that took him out before when he was perishing, he's now no longer there. And he goes, I'm going to come out there. I'm going to walk out into the storm. That song, Take Me Deeper, than my feet could ever wonder. 
when our storms hit, do we want to walk out to Jesus? Because that's where we need to be. Take me deeper than my feet can ever wander, and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Every time a struggle comes and you rely solely upon Jesus, you come out stronger on the other side. Every time. It never fails. Every time that you face a hard situation, every time that there's a struggle in your life, every time that there's a storm in your life, big or small, you're going to come out stronger, as long as you rely on Jesus. If you rely on yourself, you actually come out weaker, because now you're questioning everything and everybody and yourself. But when you trust solely on Jesus, I go, man, I read this stuff and read these stories, and I go, how about you keep me in the storm? I don't want to come out because I'm stronger in the storm, because... Technically, I can't do anything when I'm standing on the ocean by myself. Right? I'm solely, solely, solely dependent on Jesus. That's all. I can't depend on a person. I can't depend on myself. And my boat is floating away behind me. With my friends. (laughs) Apparently, they didn't have lifeboats then. (laughs) Or they didn't like Peter. (laughs) So he's just out there by himself. Okay, so I have nothing to rely upon but Jesus. I would rather go into the storm going, sinking or walking, I'm with you, than be on the boat. So do we see that struggle is an exciting thing? We want to struggle. And we want to overcome it, but we want to have a strong off-season. Because with that strong off-season, struggle, I mean, it almost becomes fun. You know when you're working out and you're like, or you go to the gym to watch everybody to tell everybody you went to the gym? (laughs) There's always a group of guys, (laughs) never fails when you hear, feel the burn. Always. (laughs) You want to feel the burn if you're working out or you're not doing nothing, right? Okay, that's how you feel when you're in a struggle. When you're in a hard time, you guys should all just get out. Feel the burn. It'll help, I promise. At least you'll laugh in that moment. (laughs) Okay, we want to feel the burn when it comes to our struggle. We can look and go, no, I'm going to get to the other side of this because Jesus said I can get to the other side of this. And in fact, he died so I can get to the other side of it. And I have had a strong off-season, and I know who I am, and I know who he is, which means I can walk through it just fine. You know, in that sniper story I told you, another thing he said that I forgot to tell you that he said was there's always 12 ways to compromise, or a dozen ways to compromise, which is 12. But he said a dozen. I'm sure it meant more. Um, There's always a dozen ways to compromise, but only one way to victory. There's always a way out. There's always a way to compromise what we believe. There's always a way to compromise what we think about our God. There's always a way to compromise think about what we think about ourselves, what we think about other people, about hard times. Okay, when we can walk through with peace, when we can walk through going, no, I solely rely upon Jesus. Because you know what the world has to turn to? Alcohol, drugs, sex. That's what they have to turn to because they want that same fulfillment. They want that joy to go, gosh, I I, I don't know what to do. I just want rid of this pain. Any distraction, I'll take it. We could be distracting them with Jesus. To where they do have a way out, where they do have something to look at, where our character is something that they can look at. Our fruit is something that they can physically see. You know the song, it, well, I always relate things to songs, but it, it actually is a scripture too. But it says, um, it, this is a living word. Do you want to know the way it comes to life? 
Because last time I checked, this isn't breathing. You can almost make it breathe. <laughs> it's not alive. It doesn't have this. This is paper, but it says it's a living word. How does it? How does it become alive? When we walk it out, we become the living word. So my question is, can you honestly say in your life or in the life of somebody else that when when you see when you go, oh, God has not given them a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind, because they're living it out, not because the Bible says it. Can you truly say because of how you're going through a situation, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because you're living it out and other people can say that, not because the Bible says it? Those are, see, our off season, we quote those scriptures. We implant those scriptures. And in our hard season, we harvest those scriptures. Where we're actually able to walk out everything that we've been planning in our off season. Every one of those scriptures now comes to life. I'm more than a conqueror through him who loves me. And I live it out. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I will not have fear. Strength is made perfect in my weakness. God's strength is. We quote those scriptures, but then do we live them out in a struggle? That's where the word becomes living, and that's where it affects the people around us. Not quoting them scripture. Do you ever wonder why people get so annoyed when you just quote scripture at them? Because you're not living it when it gets hard. But if we're actually living it and you don't quote it, it makes a difference. It makes a difference in your home when your kids see you living out in a struggle versus what you tell them to memorize for church, children's church. When the scripture becomes alive because they can look at you and go, oh yeah, yeah, my dad doesn't get, they don't get freaked out because of finances. Because they know that God supplies all their needs and that's how we live in our house. Your kids will recognize that. Your spouse will recognize that. Your friends will recognize that. Because, because it comes what you live, not what you quote. Quote it to get it in your heart. Quote it to get it in your life, but then let it produce fruit when it becomes season. That's the importance of an off-season. So when we don't, what we've filled our entire off-season with will be what comes out in the end. I have one more thing to say here and just, just find it really quick. Oh, okay. So our confidence cannot be an ability to understand our circumstance. So many times when a struggle hits, we put our confidence, God, I don't understand. I don't understand why this happened. I don't understand. Could we find peace not knowing why something happened? We can't because it's not human nature. But with, with God, with, with the Spirit of God living inside us, we don't have to understand things in order to trust our God. We don't have to understand. You may not ever understand something. I face struggles. I have no understanding as to why it happened, and I still don't, but I have perfect peace in that circumstance because I don't need to. I look at Joseph. You know when his brothers came back? He wasn't going, so why did you throw me in that pit again? That's not what he asked them. He didn't ask why. Daniel didn't come out and go, why did you throw me in the lions? God, why did they throw me in there? Sometimes you don't have to understand things. It is not, it, you don't, our confidence cannot be in the ability to understand our circumstance. Our confidence has to be in God and God alone. And the last thing I have to say is, um, in this quote, I mean, if you're taking notes, I would write it down because I mostly love it. But, um, the trial came to destroy me, but God will use it to train me and grow me up in the word. 
I lied. I have one last thing to read. Sorry. <laughs> In 2 Corinthians 4.16. Yes, sorry. Um, the trial came to destroy me, but God will use it to train me and grow me up in the word. And then in 2 Corinthians 4.16, says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So again, just backing up. And this is Paul. So I want you to hold your place there. And then I want you to flip to 1125. So take note there where it says, um, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Here's Paul's definition of light affliction. Him and I don't think on the same page, but this is his definition. I am more in labors, more abundant in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils and waters. In the perils of robbers, in the perils of my own countrymen, in the perils of Gentiles, in the perils of the city, in the perils of the wilderness, in the perils of the, the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and in toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings and cold, in nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily. <laughs> Does anybody else count that as light affliction? See, I just... Yeah, he's one of those overachievers. <laughs> so back what he said previously, for our light affliction was just but, a, but for a moment. That's not light affliction to me. <laughs> and then he just has to throw in there, and then the other stuff that comes daily too. Look at Paul's outlook on, on, on struggle. And then he's the one that says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. That's his outlook where he says, therefore we don't lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, our inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. That Paul's outlook on struggle is, I know what's on the inside of me. That I'm, I'm working for a far bigger purpose than for what is happening or not happening to me. Does that make sense? Isn't that cool? Okay, well, a secret that I wasn't going to tell you, but the same guy that lives on the inside of Paul lives inside of you. So, light is your affliction. Okay, so I would, if you guys would stand with me, I'll go ahead and pray, but...